What's up, guys? Holy shit. It's good to be back. <laughs> it's been, um, man, it's been, I think, since October, since I've put one of these out. Definitely fell way behind on the goal of getting 60 of these done in a year. Uh, but that year is not up. So we're going to keep pushing forward. Uh, definitely big thanks to the people who, you know, have messaged me or, or asked me, you know, what happened to your podcast? I really like listening to them. Or, you know, when, when are you going to put the next one out? Because um, honestly, I, I didn't know when. Um, and, and it hit me a few days ago that I've still been reading all these books. And it's time to start putting these things out. Um, for those of you that do want to listen, um, I appreciate it. But uh, let's let's go ahead and dive, dive right on into this one to episode 9 of Club 60. Um, this one is a popular book that I had seen and I needed to pick it up. Uh, once I saw the title, I knew I needed to pick it up. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life. Uh, this book is by Mark Manson. Um, it's, it's a New York Times bestseller. Um, and the premise of it is, like you said, not giving a fuck. Um, what does he mean by that? We'll, we'll dive into it. Um, I got my summary all written up here. I got my notes. And, um, you know, I'll kind of talk about what I got out of this thing. Um, so jumping right into it, chapter one is called Don't Try. Um, and the book starts out talking about a famous writer named Charles Bukowski. And this guy had been trying to be a writer for something like 30 years. And in the meantime, he worked uh, a day job as a postal clerk uh, at the post office. He spent his time gambling, doing drugs, drinking, buying prostitutes. Um, and then finally, finally, he gets uh, some small-time editor who gives him his shot. And he runs with it. He goes on to publish six novels. He sells over two million copies of his books. This guy writes hundreds of poems. I mean, and he goes on to achieve uh, what, what would sound like massive success. Um, but on his tombstone, it just says, in quotation marks, don't try. Um okay, what the hell does it mean by don't try, right? He'd been doing this for over 30 years. Um, well, it's because Charles had accepted that he was a loser and he was just straight up honest about it. Uh, he acted the same way after he got his fame. He was still drinking, still doing drugs, still uh, showing up to his shows, yelling at people, um, acting like same old Charles. Um, Manson says that self-improvement and its success often occur together, but that doesn't mean they're the same things, right? What does he mean by that? Self-improvement and success. Um, well, just because you're succeeding in something does not necessarily mean that you are improving yourself as Bukowski proved, right? He was, he was still the same dude. Um, uh, Manson says all that positive and happy self-help stuff we hear all the time is actually fixating on what we lack, right? So always trying to strengthen our weaknesses instead of focusing on our strengths, right? A lot of us have heard something like that before. And if we haven't, you know, I, I hear it all the time, you know, being in, in leadership roles or things like that is focus on your strengths and, and outsource your weaknesses to those, you know, who are stronger at those things and you can bring your strengths to their weaknesses, right? Um, but he says, no, no truly happy person feels the need to stand in front of a mirror and recite that she's happy. She just is, right? Um, because we are constantly told in, in today's society, especially that more is the key to happiness, right? More money, more fame, more friends, more people to have sex with, etc. Um, but all these things that are pulling us in all these directions, we're giving too many fucks is actually bad for your mental health. Uh, he says, too many people dedicate their life to chasing a mirage of happiness and satisfaction. And the key to, and the key to a good life is, is not giving a fuck about more. It's giving a fuck about less. Giving a fuck only about what is true and immediate and important. Um, so let's let's break that down. I mean, what what is, the, to me that's that's pretty obvious, right? Um, 
you, you can get worried about all these things that are going on right now. And, and I think we're all guilty of that. And I think, you know, not just after reading this book, but after a certain point, uh, I hit a part in my life where I, I think that I kind of realized that as well, that, you know, there's all this little shit going on that, you know, when I used to work in customer service jobs and people's complaints that they would have are just so goddamn stupid and unimportant that I was like, this stuff does not matter. Right. You know, and so it is true. The key to life is giving a fuck about less and really just caring about, you know, some of the more important things, some of the stuff that that you really hold value to, um, whatever that may be. Right. Um, he talks about in chapter one, this feedback loop from hell uh, that that teaches us it's it's not OK to feel anxiety, fear, guilt, uh, especially because of social media. Right. Um you know, you start feeling sad or you start thinking about how, how shitty you have it, right? And then you go online and you see other people that are just so happy. Um, you know, people's relationships, people's success in their professional life, you know, or, you know, maybe someone who's an influencer who has a million likes on their, on their, on their picture or video, you know, the Kardashians. Why can't I be like that, right? Um, and, and feeling like a piece of shit for being the person they are, especially in today's society where <laughs> that stuff is everywhere. We have access to everybody's, you know, profile where we can see how quote unquote air quotes good, uh, their life is yet. Uh, what, what Manson says is, you know, wanting positive experience is a negative experience. Okay, so let's think about that. Wanting positive experience is a negative experience. Accepting negative experience is a positive experience. Right? So wanting more positive experience, not being happy with with the life you have, not being grateful for that. Right? Uh, Instead, you know, why can't my life be more like hers? Or, you know, why can't I have as many friends as this guy? Um, and and then when you actually find out, you know, you see people who post these things, do this and you actually get to meet them, you know, people who seem to be in a happy relationship and they fucking hate their spouse. Turns out you have a better relationship than they do. Right. Or, or maybe they're going through the same exact shit. It's just that their profile makes it look like, you know, they have it all great. You know, I see all these relationships and every time they break up, I'm like, how'd that happen? It looks so great together. And, uh, because a lot of that shit is just fake. It's just fake, right? And that, that's just kind of the generation, you know, that we live in. It, it's not like we're any different. It's just that we have these tools, these social media devices that allow us to uh, portray these lives that aren't necessarily true. I mean, they're true to a sense that, you know, right in this moment, things are great, but doesn't necessarily mean everything's going great, right? You know, more money, more sexy, more, more, more. That's not necessarily the positive experience, Right you know, wanting more and more leads to more and more unhappiness, right? Uh, Manson says that it's the failures and the pain that lead to more happiness, right? You know, it reminds me of Gary Vee, uh, one of my favorite people to listen to, my favorite speaker, um, who talks about true, true entrepreneurialism, you know, loving the dirt, loving that, that you know, eating shit, losing, because he's only going to grow from there. And then when you look back years later from, you know, the dirt that you came from, you learn to appreciate that, right? So learning to appreciate the failure and the pain leads to more happiness, accepting the negative experience, right? Um, Three subtleties Manson lists for not giving a fuck is, he says, not giving a fuck does not mean being indifferent. It means being comfortable with being different. So he breaks it down. He says, indifferent people are people that actually care too much, right? Sorry, I'm, record, I'm recording this from uh, my car. Um, I didn't want to be in the house with other people uh, sitting around watching TV, listening to me. But um, anyways, indifferent people actually are too, or, or they care too much. Uh, and that leads to laziness, right? Uh, worrying about your hair so much or worrying about how you look so much that you don't care, you know, you'll, so you dress like a slob, you don't wash your hair because you care too much about what people think. And, and so you don't form an opinion, right? It does not mean that you don't give a shit about anything. 
it means that you're 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 okay with your differences that like that's fine with you which you should be everybody's got some differences um and we should all embrace that right um fitting in might be cool because it's more comfortable but it's not actually the cool thing to do and when people like you know leave high school or something they realize like yeah no it wasn't the cool thing to fit in um it was the kid who was doing all that extra shit doing you know uh being the class clown doing uh getting all these different experiences that that were out of the ordinary um it's okay to be yourself you know uh you'll come you'll come to love yourself more when you are okay with just being yourself um but uh that that's at least what i got out of that that's what that meant to me right everyone's interpretation of of these things is different uh, but that's that's what i got out of it um Number two, to not give a fuck about adversity, you must first give a fuck about something more important than adversity. Um, if you are constantly giving a fuck about trivial things, chances are you don't have much in your life to give a legitimate fuck about. This is where he's talking about in the book, um, old lady at, at the checkout line at the grocery store cussing out the clerk because she can't get 30 cents off of her off of her um, purchase with the coupon that she has because it's expired, right? Like, that's what she's choosing to get upset about out of anything. That's what she's getting upset about. Um, when I read that, it reminded me of times when I used to work at Safeway, and I was just so baffled by when I would get a complaint from a customer, and I was like, I didn't even, you know, <laughs> sure, I'll do better next time, but are you really worried about that? Um, but, you know, to me, you know, when I think about, like, doing sales cold calling, you know, walking in, walking into doors, knocking on doors, going and talking to strangers, asking them to, you know, get a meeting and, and so you can do some business with them. Right. That's, that's giving a fuck about adversity. That's, that shit sucks. So you do have to find something that's more important than adversity. You know, like, well, if I don't do this and I can't pay my bills, I can't, you know, have nice things. I can't go on the vacation that I wanted to go on. I can't, fulfill the promises that I've made to people or myself if I don't do this stuff right I can't I can't make that happen um so that's that's you know not giving a fuck about trivial things um and to not give a fuck about adversity you gotta care about something more something more than that adversity um and whatever that may be right but that's that's his second point of the three subtleties the third one is whether you know it or not, you are always choosing what to give a fuck about. Um, and that's, that's, that's pretty self-explanatory in my opinion. You know, whether you know it or not, you are always choosing what to give a fuck about. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty straight up, right? Um, but the main goal of the book, he outlines this, is to think a little bit more clearly on what you're choosing to find important in life and what you're choosing to find unimportant. So pretty straightforward again. What you're choosing to find important in life and what you're choosing to find unimportant. Um, Help you kind of figure that out, right? Um, Because like that feedback loop from hell that's always telling you, you know, you know, like I I think about it for myself when I go to like, you know, uh, so when I go to networking events and and I'm around a crowd of people that know nothing about me, no, no, nothing about who I am. Um, I, I definitely have probably, I probably, it would probably be anxiety. Like I really don't feel like talking to anybody. I'm, I'm the type of dude to go, you know, hang out by where the food is and chill there. Um, and hopefully someone comes and talks to me. Um, fortunately I've done enough of these things where I know that most people are also probably feeling the same way. Um, but you got to get over that adversity to get to those things that you want, right? So, um, you know, getting over that shit, giving a fuck, you know, I don't give a fuck what these people think about me, you know, go shake their hand, go ask them what they do, go exchange business cards, fuck it. Um, it, it takes a little bit of courage, sometimes a few beers over at the, at the station. That's why that's, that's, that's why that's there. But, um, that feedback loop from hell, that's just, you know, constantly, constantly, you know, our brain telling us, you know, the opposite of what we should actually be doing, you know, and we have to find a way to not give a fuck about that and go chase something that's more important. Um, Manson believes that we're facing an epidemic, one in which people no longer realize 
it's okay for things to suck sometimes. And man, this could not be more true, in my opinion, either just from just from what you see. You know, like, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay, man. I have them all the fucking time, but um, you keep going. It's okay. Uh, I, I always... I love Tony Robbins, you know, for that, that, you know, staying grateful part. When you're sad, you can stay grateful. Like, I'm just grateful I have this, this, this. And you realize your life really isn't that bad. Um, But needless to say, let's move on to chapter two. I love this chapter, man. Happiness is a problem. Uh, On page 25, it, it says, life itself is a form of suffering. So life itself is a form of suffering. So what does he mean by that? Well, he starts off by giving the example of a prince. So this prince obviously comes from wealth, like any any prince in history does, right? Um, his dad does everything for him, buys him everything he ever wants, gets him anything he ever needs, etc., right? And the prince is like, I'm not happy. Why do I have all this shit? Let me see what all the poor people are doing. So he goes out and sees just this misery in the, in, in the village that he's in and just all this bullshit that's going on and like goes back home and is pissed off, you know, kind of like, kind of like rich entitled, uh, kids that, that blame their parents for, you know, giving it to them too easy or something like that because they had everything they ever wanted in some fucked up, you know, reverse world. Like, but it's a certain thing. I kind of understand what they're saying, but. (laughs) <laughs> they be mis you know everybody's miserable when you actually think about it like right like the rich people are miserable the poor people are miserable and all for you know different but same reasons right um but the prince goes and says you know what i'm gonna go live in the dirt with the with the rest of the poor people and he does that for a little while and he's like well this fucking sucks too um and he later on, you know, as the story goes, he it, it turns out that this is the Buddha and the you know the prime, the prime thing behind Buddhism or the the when I remember taking my religions of the world class when we summed up you know each religion in one sentence, Buddhism was just pretty much everlasting suffering and and hopefully someday you find Nirvana which would be you know where suffering ends but other than that we're just in this endless cycle of suffering in whatever life form we take on right. But, you know, people without a family suffer because they don't have a family, right? You know, people have, you know, blame the lack of having a parent maybe in the family, right? Like, my dad was never there, so it's his fault I'm not this. But on the flip side, people with a family suffer (laughs) because of their family, right? Well, maybe this person did have their dad in their life, but their dad was, you know they can point to their dad and, and shift blame towards their dad or you, you get what I'm saying, right? Um, rich people suffer from being rich. Poor people suffer from poverty. You know, not all suffering is equal. It definitely would probably be better to have rich people problems than poor people problems. But nonetheless, we all suffer. Um, and it says that happiness comes from solving problems and problems never stop. They merely get exchanged or upgraded. So happiness is really an action like constantly solving problems, right? So um, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, you see that in sales all the time. Company has a problem, you bring in a product, boom, sold. Okay, huh, cool. But now I got to get my next commission check. So now there's another problem to go do. And then there's a problem that comes from the software that you sold these people because there's all these problems with it. So now we find solutions and every time, you know, there's just this, it's always, always a problem, right? That needs to be solved. Um, and it, it, like Mansa said, to be happy, we need something to solve. It is therefore a form of action, not something bestowed upon you. So you have to go make happiness happen by solving problems, whatever that may be, right? You know, feeling like shit, I'm going to go smoke a joint. I'm hungry, I got to go eat. I need to make some money, I'm going to go make a sale, right? All that kind of stuff, and that makes you happy. But then another problem hits, right? What do I do with all this money now? I'm too rich. What kind of house do I buy? What kind of car do I get? I got this car, but I should have got this car, right? All this stuff goes into it. Um, you know, there's there's two ways people fuck up happiness, um, according to Manson, and that is denial and the victim mentality, right? Um, and because, you know, denying your problems or denying... Um, 
you know, that you're unhappy um, or taking that victim mentality of, well, I'm not happy because of this and this. or I'm not happy because it's this person's fault or somebody else's fault, the world's fault, whatever. Uh, it's easy. It's addicting. People love to blame other people. And the sick part about it that he says in the book is that we don't even understand that it's kind of like it's an addiction. It's like drinking. Like blaming other people and being a victim, uh, this victimhood chic culture that he, he claims that we're living in, where it's like cool and popular to play a victim of whatever group you're a part of. Um, it, it's, it's an addicting thing that a lot of people love to use because it feels good. Um, but feeling good, Manson says emotions are overrated. They're important. Not saying they're not important. It's important to feel emotions because if you don't, you're a sociopath. But emotions are just feedback mechanisms telling us that something is either likely right or likely wrong for us. Nothing more, nothing less. Choose your fucking struggle, dude. Because <laughs> you're going to have one regardless. Like I said, I'd rather have rich people problems. But uh, nonetheless, choose your struggle. Um, then there's chapter three. You are not special. I love these chapters, man. I love just the realness that he spent. You are not special, right? Feeling good about yourself doesn't really mean anything unless you have a good reason to feel good about yourself. Uh, he says, teaching people to believe they're exceptional and to feel good about themselves doesn't lead to a population of MLKs and Bill Gates gives us a generation full of Jimmies. Uh, and what he means by that is earlier, before he says all that, he talks about the story about this guy named Jimmy who, uh, he's like a lot of these, you know, fake entrepreneur people who you see on social media that are 19 years old and motivational speakers and have seen everything they need to see and, and understand the world, um, have all these business ideas, all these schemes, but they never actually, you know, executed on them or done anything. They talk about, you know, owning equity in companies and they... They're really good at selling themselves and really good at convincing people for a little while until people realize that this, you know, the person is full of shit. Um, there's a lot of Jimmies out there that, that, you know, feel good about themselves, don't even realize that they're bullshitting people. Um, but they don't, you know, you know what I mean? They, it, there's a generation of those kids, especially, you know, he talks about dating back to the 60s, 70s, where there was this whole cultural shift of, you know, high positive, you know, positive think right? Positive self-think. Gas yourself up. You know, build your self-esteem. Uh, and he says, generations focused on self-esteem and, in quotes, feeling good all the time are entitled. Uh, entitlement is a high, not a happiness. Um, entitlement, thinking that you should get something because of this rather than like, you know, actually putting your, putting the work in, right? Uh, we all know about entitlement. My generation of millennials is accused highly of entitlement. Um, even though every generation is, is full of entitlement, um, we're just more and more morphing into a generation of, you know, that positive self think, you know, feel good all the time, even though everyone's looking depressed. Um, I think that feel good all the time is, is what Manson is saying is actually leading more people to being, uh, more upset, you know, because they can't deal with, they don't know how to deal with, um, you know, they, hey, things are shit, right? Um, uh, he says, a person with high self-worth acknowledges shortcomings and acts to improve them, right? Uh, yeah, you know what? I am bad with my finances. Uh, I do need to, you know, work with a CPA to, you know, whatever, whatever. I need to work, you know, I have, a, I, I downloaded an app on my phone, um, to help me budget, you know, all my bank accounts and my investments and everything and, and manage my credit score, right? Um, so I'm, I'm more on top of my finances now um, because I haven't been in the past, right? Um, he says entitled people don't acknowledge those things and are incapable of improving their lives in any lasting and meaningful way. So they do things that, you know, make them feel good about themselves, right? They're entitled. Well, I deserve to feel good, so I'm going to go do this. It's not a meme, the other day, you know, it said, like, you had a rough day. You deserve, you know, smoke some weed. You deserve it. Like, no, you don't deserve shit. Like, go smoke, but it doesn't mean you deserve it, right? Um, never 
think you deserve anything, right? Uh, but unfortunately, there are many of us out there that, that uh, you know, and we've all done it at times, all felt that way, um, that we don't, we don't acknowledge our shortcomings and we don't choose to act on them, right? Um, and that's what he says leads to entitlement. Um, entitlement plays out in two different ways, according to Manson. One is, I'm awesome and the rest of you all suck, so I deserve special treatment. <laughs> I love that. Uh, number two is, I suck and the rest of you are all awesome, so I deserve special treatment. Um, we both, you know, we've, we've known... We've, we've all seen people, um, you know, act that way. If not, we've seen ourselves act that way. Right. Um, but either I suck or I'm awesome and I deserve special treatment because of it. But at the same time, you're just another one of the group. You're, you are not special. Fucking love that chapter. Um, but moving on chapter four, the value of suffering. So he talks about this uh, story about a second lieutenant, Hiro Onoda, of the Japanese Imperial Army. Um, this, is, this is an awesome story. He, so he's deployed onto a small island of Lubang in the Philippines. His orders were to slow the United States' progress and to stand and fight at all costs. So he goes into this jungle. Uh, he's fighting. Most of his soldiers surrender. There's about three of them left. One dies, another one, uh, I think, either either surrenders or he dies too. And so uh, Anoda is just kind of left on his own. But he follows the order. He waged warfare until, until 1972. He was still killing people, doing some bombings. Like, he, there were leaflets put out, you know, that the war's over. Like, come out, stop. It's madness. It's utter nonsense. But the, the dude sticks to what his orders were. Um, I mean, honestly, no, no shame in that. I, I you, you got to respect that, right? He, he sticks to it. Um, and he, like I said, wages warfare until 1972, until someone brave enough goes into the jungle and finds him and says, Hey, like the, the war's been over, bro. Um, but the, what the chapter goes on to talk about, the bigger lesson from that is that people devote large portions of their lives to seemingly useless or destructive costs or causes. Um, and this is how Anoda chose to suffer happily. He regretted nothing, right? So a lot of people, you know, choose to go work for somewhere for 50 years and, and do it. And they would do it again if you gave them another chance, right? It's just what they choose to, to um, you know, devote their, their lives to or a large chunk of it. Um, for me personally, I say <laughs> being on my phone, scrolling through social media, wasting my time, um, you know, doing things like that that aren't necessarily useful. Uh, you know, maybe they are, but probably useful and uh, devoted a large portion of my life to it. I set a 20 or I set a 20 minute limit for myself on Instagram like a couple weeks ago and I hit it by like seven or 8 a.m. every morning, just depending on you know, when, when I get on my phone, um, and I definitely exceed it. Right. So if I added all that time up and I put that time into something else, maybe into making more podcasts, I would be on track with making these podcasts, but that's, that's just kind of how we are. Right. Um, I, I don't regret it though. I mean, I, was, I love looking at memes. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Um, but moving on from that, uh, one of the big things he talks about is the self-awareness onion. So peeling back the layers of self-awareness. Another one Gary Vee um, always talks about is like a key to you know success and, and, and doing big things is first understanding yourself and having self-awareness, understanding your strengths, right? So number one of the self-awareness onion is understanding your emotions. Number two is having the ability to ask why we feel certain emotions. Um, and three, personal values. Why do I consider this to be success or failure? Um, and he says, most people are horrible at answering these why questions accurately. And this prevents us from achieving deeper knowledge of their own or of our own values. Right. So um, most people are horrible at answering these why questions accurately. And this prevents us from achieving a deeper knowledge of our own values. 
um, pretty much makes sense. Like, why do we do what we do? Um, you know, even when I was reading this, it's like, I, I feel like I understand myself pretty well. And I know like when I can call myself out on, you know, being a dick or, or, you know, not being the bigger man, things like that. Understanding your emotions and, and why we feel those emotions and, you know, why do we consider things to be a success or failure? Like, we don't probably take enough time as we should to sit back and reflect on those things, right? Um, but then he goes on to talk about rock star problems. So he gives two examples, right? So the first example is Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. So first, Dave Mustaine actually originated... Um, or not originated, but he started, uh, I don't know if he started his career, but he was, anyways, fuck it. He was at one point in the band Metallica and then got kicked out. And this is early in Metallica's, you know, time, but he's like, all right, well, fuck you. And he goes and starts his own band, Megadeth. And Megadeth goes on to do really well. Like, I didn't know who Megadeth was until I read this book, but um, apparently they like, were pretty successful. They're not Metallica. Like, I know Metallica. I don't listen to that kind of music too much, but I do know Metallica, right? That's a household name. Um, and even though Dave went on to like, you know, run this band and do a great fucking job at it, uh, he still chalked his life up to being a failure because he got kicked out of Metallica because of the success that they had. Right. Um, and then, and then the second story is of a guy named Pete Best and Pete Best, uh, was was one of the original band members for the Beatles before Ringo Starr. Um, Pete ends up getting kicked out of the Beatles. He's pretty upset about it. Um, but he goes on to start a family, raises kids, and like has a whole different career after music. And I mean, the Beatles, like arguably the most successful band ever, depending on who you ask. Um, probably not people from our generation typically, but um, like our parents would probably, you know, a lot of them would say the Beatles, right? This dude doesn't give a shit. He's like, you know, I'm actually glad I got kicked out of the band. Uh, I was able to have this beautiful family, spend time with them, raise them, all that stuff. Um, so you look at him and Dave and how they chose, you know, to feel about their problems, right? Like what are their personal values? So obviously Pete Best's personal values, you know, was more family oriented where Dave's was really the rock star shit. Like he was pissed that he didn't achieve um, as much as Metallica had achieved. Um, and who knows, you know, how well each of them understood themselves. It kind of sounds like Pete understood himself a little bit better. Um, and then the next um, highlighted section of the book is shitty values. Um, so here's four shitty values that must or, um, Manson lists. Um, one is pleasure. Two, material success. Three, always being right. And four, staying positive. You say constant positivity is a form of avoidance. Which when I was reading it, I was like, damn. So it's not always good to be positive. Like, it's okay to, you know, I, I know it's okay to feel negative. But, like, whenever I'm feeling negative, I'm like, I got to change this. Right? Not like I need to go do something crazy to feel positive. It's just like, ah, why can't I feel good? Um, you know, it's okay. Because we're always suffering, right? So it's okay to feel you know, negative. Um, I don't like, I'm not someone who likes to spread negativity. In fact, I fucking hate it. Um, uh, but it's okay because, um, it's, that's just, that's inherent in our nature to feel that way. Um, so it turns out that according to the book, staying positive is a form of avoidance, constant positivity, um, and, uh, pleasure, material success. Those are like obviously externals, Right, you know, doing drugs, ejaculation, orgasming, uh, eating like a barbarian, um, material success, getting trophies, you know, winning awards, money, uh, having the nicest car, you know, putting your personal values into that, always being right. Um, you know, you just pissed everybody off, but at least you're right, right? You know, like in sales, <laughs> there's there's the salesmen that always you know, fucks the whole sale up, but walks out of the meeting feeling great because they know they're right. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. See how far they get to you. Um, he says that negative emotions are a necessary component of emotional health. T 
to deny that negativity is to perpetuate problems rather than to solve them. He said the trick with negative emotions is to express them in a socially acceptable and healthy manner and to express them in a way that aligns with your values. Right, so it's perfect. Um, easy relation for me, uh, you know, playing sports. Right, I'm pissed off. I'm in a bad mood. Um, I missed a couple shots or, you know, coach yelled at me, whatever. Um, how do you express them in a socially acceptable manner? Go out there and play harder. Go out there and do the right things. Um, and use that energy. You got to channel that negative energy. Um, and I'm sure you've, most of you have heard this somewhere, but you got to channel that negative energy into something more positive, right? Um, and express them in a way that aligns with your values, right? So maybe one of your values is that I'm a hard worker. Okay, well, you're pissed off. Go work hard. Go do something that, you know, take some hard work. You know, go, go put out a podcast, right? I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to go put out a podcast because I like doing this. I do this for fun. Um, I do it because I love it. Um, but that's, that's right. You guys, you, you get what I'm saying. Um, and here's a quote by Freud, one of my favorites. I love Freud, contrary to many others around me that can't stand him. Um, he says, one day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. So read that one more time. One day in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I honestly couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. Um, it goes back to where we're talking about, you know, eating shit, loving the dirt, loving the taste of it, loving to lose. I don't know if any of us necessarily inherently love to lose, but learning to love it, you know, looking back and going, man, I was fucking struggling, but man, I was hustling. You know, I, I, I do look back to my days early as an insurance salesman and remember, you know, all the phone calls I was making, all the, all the dirt that I was going through, um, the people I was with doing it. And, and that was when I was having some of the most fun doing what I was doing. Um, but moving on from that, um, uh, defining good and bad values. So here's what Manson says are good values. Reality-based, socially constructive immediate and controllable bad values superstitious socially destructive not immediate or controllable good equals internal well it is the note that i wrote to myself but good equals you know internal and real bad equals external and fake All right it reminds me of a uh, philosophy ca- class that i took in college, one of my favorite professors. Um, and that one taught me a lot about myself. Um, you know, that in my life early on, you know, especially through sports, the reason I was doing what I was doing is I was chasing some sort of external good feeling that didn't even really matter. Didn't really exist. You know, I was, I was doing what I was doing to not necessarily for the love of the game, but to, you know, have the image of being a basketball player, have the image of, you know, being something that didn't really matter, right? Um, instead of worrying about, you know, was I being a good person? Was I treating those that I love um, with the respect and the dignity that they were treating me with? And the answer was no, I really wasn't. Um, so it, it, I learned a lot about myself in that. And, and I think it, that was one of those life-changing classes where I did start to not give a fuck about some of that, you know, extra shit. Like, of course I like to win. Who doesn't? Of course I like, you know, winning the trophies, having the nice things, um, feeling good about myself, you know, for having a good game. But uh, it's really not what matters at the end of the day, right? Um, What matters more is, you know, how you treat your teammates, how you treat your coaches, how you, like I said, treat the ones that you love, right? Um, Internally, feeling good about those things, right? Um, and being a better person and being a, a better contributor. Um, but yeah, so that's that's chapter four. Moving into chapter five, you are always choosing. The only difference between a problem being painful or being powerful is a sense that we choo- that we chose it and that we are responsible for it. And I fucking love that too, right? Um, entrepreneurialism. Uh 
I had to chase it, man. Like it fucking sucks some days. Like, you know, you wake up literally feeling like, fuck, I want to kill myself just because, you know, you know, the hard work that lies ahead, you know, that like, you don't even know when your next paycheck is coming. You got bills due. You got a bunch of shit to do. Um, you know, a week ago, you're on cloud nine this week. You're like, holy fuck. I got this and this and this to do. And it's all stacked up. Right. But I do remember that I chose it, right? Like I, I, I chose this, I chose this route. Um, I chose it for a reason because when someone else bosses me around to do something, it pisses me off. I don't do well, right? I just, if I don't, especially if I don't agree with you, if you don't show good leadership, um, working for someone else um, has never, uh, I've, I've never lasted really a long time doing it. Um, but that's, that's because that's me. Um, or maybe like uh, another one I can relate it to is like exercising, like, uh, and, and the book does it too. Uh, if you like two examples, right? The first guy gets woken up out of bed, forced to put some shoes on, put some clothes on and have to go run a marathon, 26.2 miles. The second guy has trained for this marathon. He's prepared for the suffering. He's, he's, he, he, he's bought the custom shoes, the fitted ones, the nice running shorts, all that. Like this dude is fucking jacked. And he chose to go to go out there and run a, a marathon that most people would be like, fuck that. Um, and, and that's, that's the difference between being painful or powerful. Um, when we feel that we are choosing our problems, we feel empowered, right? So that power of choice, choosing our problems, as opposed to having the problems be bestowed upon us without the uh, chance to, to kind of choose which ones we want to deal with and which ones we don't. Um, you know, having the mindset that everything is, is within your control is a lot easier to live with than, than not, right? Um, accepting responsibility for our problems is a first step to solving them. And, uh, you know, something that we have to remember is like, at first my impression of this was like, oh, I should just take responsibility for everything, right? But there's a difference between cause and responsibility. And the responsibility piece, you know, f- or fault, like, like someone comes and, you know, you know, like, like September 11th terrorist attack, like you're working at the world trade center, like that shit just happens, right? It's not your fault, but how you, you know, assuming you live after that, like how you choose to respond to that, you have that choice. Like you have the option to respond to that. Um, if you were one of the ones that, that lives, I don't mean to make a joke about any of that stuff. Um, but that's just the example that I'm, I'm, I'm drawing from that, right? Is, um, and that leads to the next part is responding to tragedy. It talks about responding to tragedy, how you react to tragedy. It wasn't your fault, but you are responsible for how you act after. Um, and, and really taking hold of that and choosing you know, how to respond um, is, is up to you. And in today's world, he, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's the victimhood chic. You know, internet and social media has made it popular for every group to play a victim. It's, it's actually encouraged and it's perpetuated. Like, it, it is cool to be the victim. It's cool to be oppressed. Um, it's cool to uh, not have things be your fault. Right? Because it's easy. It's fucking easy. And it's fun to blame. It's fun to blame people. Um, the more people there are, and, and this is, this is uh, bad for society because the more people there are who proclaim themselves victims over tiny infractions, um, kind of play like the boy who cried wolf. They make it harder um, or, or it becomes harder to see who the real victims are because, you know, and, and it is sad, you know, like the Me Too movement. Um, there's a lot of jokes that go behind that, right? Like when women accuse, um, you know, men of sexual abuse, um, because there are some stories out there that are fucking tragic. And then there are some, uh, that aren't, and it just takes one bad one. You know, unfortunately, I'm not saying that this is right, but it does just take one bad one, you know, for a lot of dudes out there to just be like, ah, fuck all that. Right. Um, and vice versa. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it, it goes both ways, right? But that's, unfortunately, that's how it happens. And so playing the victim, more and more people playing the victim, 
you know, people pulling the race card when it's convenient rather than when it's actually happening, um, leads to people not ever taking those real complaints serious, which uh, is in the in in the grand scheme of things terrible for for society. Um, and in this generation, uh, especially in the fucking generation, people are addicted to being offended. Where um, Manson says we should approach news and media with a healthy dose of skepticism, practice values of being honest, transparent, and welcoming doubt over values of being right, feeling good, and getting revenge. Um, controversial thing that you know that just happened this week in the news was the uh, was a kid with the "Make America Great Again" hat from the Catholic school uh, with the Native American guy. You know, you see a couple clips. Uh, you see the banter back and forth between the right and the left over social media. Um, you hear about it from your peers. Um, and, and everyone's got an opinion. You know, the kids got death threats. But then on the other side, you know, people are... <laughs> or feel complete opposite. Like, you know, fuck you for calling this kid a racist. Fuck you for the death threats. Like, this kid didn't do anything wrong. Um, and And... It's like, for me, I'm like, bro, I mean, I see both sides. I, I don't give a fuck. Honestly, I don't give a fuck. I'm looking at it. I'm going, yeah, I can see where that makes sense. I can also see where your side makes sense, right? Um, and so it is good to approach it with a healthy dose of skepticism, especially in today's world. And there's, you know, there's so many, uh, you don't know whose agenda is what when you're watching the news. Like, it's really hard to watch. Like, it's, it's important to know what's going on, but it almost never, ever comes without some sort of opinion behind it, right? Um, and so it's hard to weed through all that. Um, but as long as you're being honest, transparent, and you're welcoming doubt, right? Like, yeah, I could be wrong. Um, you know, here's what it looks like, blah, 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 but I could be wrong. But IDK, though. Um, or values of being right, feeling good, getting revenge, you know, fuck him, let's kill him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, those, I'd rather take the, the, the first values in the latter. Um, and then let's, let's go ahead and, you know, move on to chapter six. Um, you're wrong about everything, but so am I. So Manson says, when we learn something new, we don't go from wrong to right. Rather, we go from wrong to slightly less wrong. We are always in the process of truth and perfection without ever reaching truth or perfection. And that certainty is the enemy of growth. And uh, one of my favorite, you know, back back to my philosophy class, one of my favorite quotes, um, I believe this is from Socrates, who was revered as like the smartest man ever of his time, because he always said, I don't know. Um, and that's, that's actually been, you know, the, the caption on my Instagram for the last, I don't know, maybe six months, uh, maybe longer, I can't remember, um, that I don't know anything, right? Like, for the most part, I don't. Even through my life experiences, those might be lying to you, right? You don't truly know anything. Uh, there's a lot of information out there that we live off of. I mean, obviously we've made, made it work and we've gotten a lot of things right. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're only slightly less wrong. Um, and having this idea that you are right without ever thinking that you could be wrong, that certainty piece is what's going to hold you back from growing, right? It's going to make you less open-minded. Um, this leads into Manson's law of avoidance. The more something threatens your identity, the more you will avoid it. There's a certain comfort that comes with knowing how you fit in the world. Anything that shakes it up, that comfort, even if it could potentially make your life better, is inherently scary, right? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of that innovate or die kind of approach, like, but we've always done it this way, but we've, you know, and, and hearing new ideas, new, new thoughts, new problems, um, is why I've, 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 I have personally committed myself um, even though my girlfriend would argue I'm not, uh, to being open-minded. I mean, you know, everyone sees things a little bit differently. You know, a lot of people agree on a lot of things. A lot of people see things differently as well. Um, and it's okay to disagree and okay to both be wrong, you know, and be, you know, slightly less wrong. Um, but to not be certain, 
um, and to be okay with not being comfortable, right? To be okay with, you know, learning and growing and, and, but it is difficult, you know, and, and to drop everything you've ever learned, you know, a kid who grows up as a, you know, in a skinhead, you know, Aryan race kind of thing to be told like, nope, you got to do this way now. Like, obviously like, yeah, he should, but you can see like, that'd be like telling you that you, you know, in, in his mind, putting yourself in his shoes, you've grown up in somewhere that's multicultural and diverse and, you know, that's not an issue for you. You're like, what the fuck's your problem, dude? But then on his side, he's like, what the fuck's your problem? Why don't you uh, see things the way I do? Instead of, you know, and and so it is understandable and it is scary to have to change, you know, who you are and and change your identity because you've learned new things, right? Um, uh, How to be a little less certain with yourself? Ask yourself these questions. What if I'm wrong? What would it mean if I were wrong? Would being wrong create a better or worse problem than my current problem for both myself and others? Pretty self-explanatory. You know, what if I'm wrong? What would it mean if I were wrong? Would being wrong create a better or worse problem than my current problem for both myself and others? All great questions to ask yourself, understandably so. It's difficult, but you guys get me. Y'all copy me. Um, Chapter 7. Failure is the way forward. So this chapter, like a lot of them do, they start off with an example. Um, It starts out with Pablo Picasso drawing on a napkin. And this lady goes, can I have that napkin? Uh, And Pablo says, yeah, for $20,000. Then the lady's like, it took you two minutes to to draw that. And he says something like, it actually took me 60 years. Uh, because of all the failure that he'd gone through with drawing, like he was never this good as he was to this day, you know, uh, to that day of making that piece of art, even though he just crumpled it up and threw it away. Um, improvement at anything is based on thousands of tiny failures and the magnitude of your success is based on how many times you've failed at something. Kind of reminds me of that Michael Jordan quote where he's like, you know, He's missed, you know, he's hit all these game winners, but at the same time, he's missed a lot of shots to win the game, or he's just missed a lot of shots in general, right? Or, you know, a baseball player, fuck, hitting 30%, getting a hit three times out of 10 is like seen as extraordinary, right? Or superior, um, but you're still failing seven of the other 10 times, right? Like a, a great investor fails like something like 90 to 99% of the time. So like, they're like never right. So it's okay, like, you got to keep failing. Like Gary Vee says, you know, you got to love the dirt. It's okay to fail. Like you either, like McGregor says, you either win or you learn. Uh, pain is a part of the process. You know, whether that be, you know, in my personal experience, you know, the first one being, let's say, college. Um, let, let's say college, you know, to get that piece of paper, to get that diploma, I had to go through five years of bullshit. Um, I learned a lot, failed a lot, did well sometimes, fucked up sometimes, um, and got through it. You know, made friends, lost friends, made enemies, uh, everything in between. Climbing the corporate ladder, you know, if that's if that's the route you go. Uh, building a business. Um, I've, I've probably failed at, you know, probably four or five of the businesses that I've, I've tried to build since I got out of college, um, or that I gave up on I, You know, I failed probably cause I gave up on them, but cause I realized I didn't really want to you know, put all my time into it. But nonetheless, um, you know, I know that I've failed a lot and I haven't hit anywhere where I want to hit. I've, I have not by any means made it. Um, and that's obvious, but you know, you go through, you go, you go through a lot of pain. You go through a lot of failure to get, you know, to the end. Um, and it's a day by day process. Um, but there's the do something principle. Like if you're stuck, if you're in a rut, if you're like, fuck this, bro, what do I do? Um, do something. It will eventually cause the right ideas to show up in your head. Action causes inspiration, causes motivation, and then it's a cycle, right? You know, the motivation can cause action. Inspiration can cause motivation. And that can cause action. And on and on and on, right? But it's just like, uh, I always like to go back to sales because, you know, like, it's, it's taught me a lot. You know, cold calling. Hey, pick up the phone and start going. Like, you have an empty calendar. 
Watch what happens when you pick up the phone and make 100 phone calls. Like now, you're, now your calendar's full. Now you're running around. You're going to appointments all day. Then you got a couple of referrals from those. You know, you closed a deal here. That person gave you a referral to go across town here to close another deal. Then because, you know, you scheduled five more appointments on the phone that day, you did this. And then you got in a routine and you're calling. And all of a sudden, you got too many goddamn appointments, right? Um, this thing's telling me I got about five more minutes to wrap this thing up. So I'll, I'll, I'll try and wrap it up, but... Um, chapter eight is the importance of saying no, uh, rejection makes your life better. Part of having honesty in our lives is learning how to say no. Um, and, that, and that's pretty self-explanatory. Like I'm, I'm in a phase right now where I've said yes to a lot of shit and now I'm starting to peel back and say no to a lot of shit. I said no to this podcast, uh, for about three months there. Um, but now I'm back on it, um, because I really do love doing this, um, boundaries, healthy and unhealthy relationships, right? How well each person, you know, this is going to a relationship, how well each person accepts responsibility, um, and the willingness of each person to both reject and be rejected by their partner, right? Um, people in a healthy relationship with strong boundaries will take responsibility for their own values and problems, but not take responsibility for their partner's values and problems. People in a toxic relationship with poor or no boundaries will regularly avoid responsibility for their partner's problems. Example here was you can't go out with your friend without me. You know how jealous I get. You have to stay home with me. Or I can't believe you made me feel so stupid in front of my own sister. Never disagree with me in front of her again. Um, Entitled people fall into two traps. They expect other people to take responsibility for their problems. And they take too much responsibility for other problems or other people's problems, right? Um, you sh- Manson says you should choose to support your partner because you want you want to work on yourself to feel good about each other. Acts of love are valid only if they are performed without conditions or expectations. And I was like, yes, fuck Christmas, fuck your birthday. I'll buy you a gift when I want to buy you a gift, which I do buy gifts, and I haven't skipped Christmas or birthday yet, but. That is my feeling. I'm like, fuck that, right? Valentine's Day, fuck you, Valentine's Day. Um, how to build trust, honesty, telling your spouse how you feel. When trust is destroyed, it can be rebuilt if the trust breaker admits the true values that caused the breach and owns up to them. And the trust breaker builds a solid track record of improved behavior over time. Freedom through commitment. Too many option leads to wondering what could happen. Rejecting all but the best options and committing to them leads to more happiness. One job, one spouse, one home, etc. You get really good at one thing. Um, you know, we live in a fucking world where there are so many choices. You go on Netflix, too many choices. You go to the, you go to the, you go to the, uh, or you want to go get food with your partner, too many choices. You can never decide on it, right? Um, I would never want to stick to one food ever, but um, getting really good at that, you know, one thing or committing to one thing um, actually leads to more freedom and more happiness, according to Manson. Chapter nine, and then you die. Um, And this kind of just sums up like, fuck it, dude. The end of the day, we're all going to die. Death scares us because it scares us. We avoid thinking about it, talking about it, sometimes even acknowledging it, even when it's happening to someone close to us. Yet, in a bizarre backwards way, death is the light by which the shadow of all life's meaning is measured. Without death, everything would feel inconsequential. All experience arbitrary, all metrics and values suddenly zero. Humans quest for immortality past their own physical life. All the meaning in our life is shaped by this innate desire to truly die. So, basically... Death is like a timeline, like, let's get all this shit done before we die, right? And then another thing that humans are obsessed with, or a lot of the greats are obsessed with, is this immortality project. That's why you have sports, religion, government, why people want to climb to the top. Because they know that when their physical self dies, they want their names on statues. Um, they want to be known forever, right? Um, and Manson actually says that this is, does more good than harm to want this. You know, you should just enjoy the life that you have, try and leave the world a better place. That's what a lot of philosophers will say. It's not about having your name on, on shit. 
um, and doing things for the wrong reasons so you can have your name on something. Um, He said to let go of the immortality project, be alive, be grateful. We're all going to die. I finish this with 10 seconds left. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I will be back with more. Again, thanks guys. Peace out.